0: Welcome. How's everyone doing tonight? Can I just say as I was pacing the room throughout worship, there's such a sense of peace here tonight. I don't know if you guys have been at the past few um, Wednesday night gatherings, but it's felt a little bit tense, a little bit awkward, and there was such a tangible level of peace. I kind of just want to stay in it. So if you guys are here and you've got your Bibles, can you open them up to John chapter 16? We're gonna be opening there in just a few minutes. You know, when I'm usually on this stage, it's either for a ministry we have here called Authentic Men or it's for youth. And for those of you who don't know what Authentic Men is, it's this amazing ministry we host every Sunday night, at least before the whole pandemic started. And it's 200 plus guys who just come here from Laramie County Corrections to learn what it looks like to become a disciple of Jesus. And it's amazing. But if I make a few comments about life in prison or how hard it is in the correctional system, just laugh, smile, nod. Pretend like you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you do know what I'm talking about. Because when I talk about a youth group each week and I mention prison, they all just laugh and nod because I'm pretty sure they're all convinced their life is a prison. (laughs) We're going to be in John chapter 16. But before we dive into the text, I want to ask you guys a question. The question's this. Do you feel trapped? Have you ever felt trapped? Have you ever felt like life is just squeezing in around you? For many people, this recent season, this lockdown season, all the incredible events we see going on within our nation, people feel constricted. For many of you, entrapment might have literally been locked be, have been being locked at home with family. Maybe as a spouse, you feel find yourself nagging your own spouse, or she's nagging you, or vice versa. Maybe your kids are fighting nonstop. Maybe you could have never imagined a situation where every single dish in your house is somehow missing from the cupboards and piled in the sink. And yet, for many of us, this feeling of entrapment, this feeling of imprisonment might actually be a lot more serious. For many of you, maybe you've watched your finances steadily start to decline because your employer or your own business is really starting to take a hit. Maybe for you, lockdown's been great. You've had an awesome time. You've been able to pick up old projects like I have. It's kind of been an awesome couple of months just spending time with my wife. But at other points in your life, you've felt this feeling of entrapment. You've felt this imprisonment crushing down on you. And tonight, we're going to ask, what is the answer to that? Because so many questions arise in these seasons. Questions like, why is God letting this happen? Why are circumstances getting so bad? Why is my family doing so poorly? For many of us, these feelings of entrapment can come at traumatic instances, like when you get a phone call from a loved one or a friend or a family member, and they say, I hate to tell you, but I've got cancer or maybe you've received notice from a former spouse who after many years of love and commitment says, you know what, I'm ready, I'm ready to be done, I'm checking out, and you feel broken. So tonight, I first want us to take courage because we're not the only ones who have fallen on these difficult entrapments in our life. We're going to be in John chapter 16, and in this chapter and the chapter previously, Jesus starts by telling the disciples that a lot of bad stuff is coming their way. He talks about the persecution they're going to face. He talks about the trauma they're going to face in the world, that this beloved city Jerusalem, which they've grown up since childhood hearing about, how holy and sacred of a place this is, and suddenly the Romans come and destroy it. But Jesus doesn't leave them in this p- place of despair. Instead, He gives them a promise. And if I'm ominous, guys, this promise is kind of confusing and perplexing. He says, I have told you all these things to keep you from stumbling. I'm not sure I would be very comforted by hearing that a lot of bad stuff is about to happen. I don't know how that's supposed to keep you from stumbling. It would be kind of like if I was diagnosed with a disease and one of my friends came by and they're like, hey man, God brought me this word of comfort, you should really hear it. It's going to get a whole lot worse. How how is this the answer? How is this the answer to the entrapment? Because the gospel writer employs an interesting word for this term, stumble. It's this word "scandalizo." It's a verb which comes from the Greek noun "scandalon," and it quite literally means the trap. It can be a trap which we set for ourselves, or it can be a trap which we fall into. And in John 16, 1, Jesus is saying, I have told you this so that you might not fall into the trap. You see, it's not all bad news. Within this passage, Jesus promises the coming of the Holy Spirit. This one who in Greek literally means the friend who comes to stand beside you when you call upon him. It's this word paraclete. Para means beside. Kaleo means call upon. It literally means God, the God who will come and be with you in your moments of trial. But another promise is attached to that and it's this. It's going to be John 15, 19 through 21, it says, I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. They will persecute you. They will do all kinds of horrible things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. You see, throughout recent months, we've kind of watched our world catch fire. I don't know if you've been on the news, or on social media, it's probably better if you haven't been, you're probably like, life's great, I'm completely unplugged. But we're watching an entire world become bitter. We're watching the people around us not only be crushed by their own existing circumstances, but such bitterness is welling up that it's almost as if we're waiting for a new tragedy to happen, a new circumstance to happen, something else that we can just feel embittered by. I know it's been a great few months for me, but I've even felt this in my own life. I've felt this pressure from learning how to do life in the middle of a lockdown just well up some pretty terrible things in me. You can ask my wife. She knows pretty well. We see this bitterness in our culture. We feel this bitterness at times within ourselves and within our families. And I don't know how many of you are big fans of literature, but the late great Russian novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky said, all this bitterness, all this despair, all this hopelessness can be brought back to one central question, and it's this. Why do innocent people suffer? Why do bad things happen to otherwise good-seeming people? Why do hard circumstances fall upon us when we're just trying to do our best and follow the Lord faithfully? All these questions have caused me to look within myself and ask this, how do I respond when the promise of Jesus is fulfilled in my life? How do I respond when, at times, my circumstances become so adverse and so challenging, I just feel like breaking? You see, Jesus made a promise I want us to pay attention to. It's the same phrase. The world hates you. At times, we can get a bit confused and misunderstand what that means. We want to project it out onto the people of the world. We think, man, there's these people over here I really don't like, and they hate me, and they're persecuting me. You see, that's not the term world that Jesus is using here. We might think, maybe an organization I'm a part of, my job is oppressing me, they're mistreating me. We might think that the government's mistreating us. Still, this is not the idea that Jesus is drawing us to. You see, when he uses the term world, it's this Greek term, cosmos. It literally means the whole of the created order. It's not the people, it's not the organizations. It's your whole circumstances. And that so changes the way we interpret this passage because suddenly it's not about us versus them or looking out at the people which we bear bitterness to. It's actually about what are your circumstances like? What are your surroundings like? What are you dealing with in your life? Because if you're investing as those things as your foundation, you're actually investing in a power that's trying to destroy you. And that's so uniquely convicting for me because I'm someone who so often is completely charged by ambition. I wanna kind of manipulate my circumstances, control what's going on around me, succeed, do well. And the gospel is telling us here, if you live this way, you're actually operating under a power that hates you, even if you think you're in control of it. Jesus isn't calling the disciples to, seek vengeance against the world or feel violated because the world hates them. Instead, he's asking them, what's your source? What are you looking to in times of great need? Are you looking at your circumstances? Are you letting the happenings and events of this world cause you to be who you are? Because if so, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get destroyed because there's actually powers within this world that are trying to trap you. You see, Paul reminds us of this in the book of Ephesians when he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. This is Ephesians 6, 12. It's not the people of this world, it's our circumstances we have to be wary of. And if we let our circumstances dictate who we are, it can lead to such faith-destroying questions. Questions like, why would God do this? Why would God allow this to happen to me and the people I love? If God's not gonna help me, how can I overcome these things on my own? And none of these questions are intrinsically bad. I spend a lot of my time in the philosophy world and we pretty much spend all our time just mulling over these questions over and over to no avail. And yet, the problem isn't that these aren't good questions, it's that for so many people, they become their answer. When life's good, oh, God must love me, he's blessing me right now. When life's bad, God hates me and he's punishing me. And suddenly, the hostile circumstances of our life no longer are just situations, they're no longer just our surroundings, but instead of seeing God within our situations, we start to see our situations as God. And we end up in such a terrible place. This can't be our answer. This mustn't be our answer. So we're going to dive into John 16 and find out what is the answer tonight? What is that which should drive us within our struggles in the world? It's John 16, through 23, and then I'm going to hop over to 29 through 33. It says, You have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. No one will be able to take your joy from you. On that day, you will ask nothing from me. Very truly, I tell you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. His disciples said, yes, finally, you're speaking plainly, not in figures of speech. Now we know that you know everything, and you don't need to have anyone question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, is this the moment you finally believe?" The hour is coming, indeed it has already come, when you'll be scattered, each one to his own home, and you will leave me alone, yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. I have said this to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will face trouble, but take heart, I have conquered the world. So what's the answer in this passage? What's the crux? Well, Jesus makes this bold statement. He says, is this the moment that you finally believe? So I want to take a unique look at what the apostles are saying here. They say, now we know that you know everything, and you don't need to have anyone question you. By this we believe you came from God. You see this sentence, by this we believe that you came from God, is a really strange sentence. I spend a lot of time in grad school studying Greek, so can you guys handle a little bit of a weird Greek linguistic gymnastics with me tonight? You've got to bear with me. It's going to be a little long-winded, but we'll get there, I promise. So in the Greek, this word exotheles, it means to come or emerge from, this constitutes the only point in Scripture that this word is used this way. And what does it mean? Well, it's in an indicative mood, in an aorist tense. You're like, wow, that changes my life. Thank you for telling me. But this is why it's important. An indicative mood signifies something which is in the past. It's something that's already completed. Whereas an aorist tense often means something that's reoccurring or a situation to which time doesn't really apply. If I was to use an example, I would say, John went for a walk yesterday in the same way he always loves to go for walks. You see, it's juxtaposing those two different tenses together. So when we apply it to this verse, it says, Jesus emerged from God in the same way he always emerges from God. So why is that so important? Why is that the answer to suffering? I don't really get it yet. You see, there's two things I want to exposit here. One is this, if you're looking for the answer of suffering in your life, the first one is this, Jesus emerged from the Father, Jesus is God. That seems like such a basic place to start, but we cannot operate under a false system which says Jesus is a wise prophet from a long time ago, he's a glorified angel, because if Jesus is not a part of the triune God, if he's not the Lord of creation, it means he's not the Lord of your circumstances. He can't help you. Secondly, it means this as well. If Jesus emerges from God, If Jesus is always coming and proceeding to you from God, it means in him you have access to God at all times. If Jesus emerges from God, if everything about Jesus comes from God, it means that every aspect of your life, as long as you're living in him, can too. You don't need to invest in your circumstances. Thank you all for bearing with me. That was a lot of Greek. So this is the conclusion. Jesus both is and imparts to us the answer to every question. So when we reach these debilitating places in our life, when we're like, how could God allow this? How could God do these things to the people around me? We must first settle in with him. I know it's almost glib to say Jesus is the answer to every question. I don't know, for those of you who are younger and were growing up in the 90s, do you remember those black shirts that had with the big ugly font that you would see at youth group and would say super seemingly corny things like, Jesus is the answer to every question, and every Christmas and birthday your relatives were buying it for you, and it's like, well, I'm breathing. I'm not going to wear that. <laughs> it's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. But it wasn't just the bad fashion taste that caused us to feel that way. Sometimes it was Yeah, I know. How is that going to help me? It's easy to say that Jesus is the answer to everything, but what does that actually mean? Because I'm hurting here. And simple answers aren't going to help me right now. So it's very difficult. It's very hard. But tonight I want to sketch for us three practical and scriptural answers and steps when we're struggling with the uncertainties of our life. The first one is this, it comes from Hebrews 4, verse 16. Dig into time with the Lord. The writer of Hebrews says, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so we might refine mercy and grace for help in time of need. You see, if Jesus is the God who always emerges, always proceeds, always reflects, and always intercedes with the Father, it means that when questions arise, you have an answer. Go to the secret place. Go spend time in prayer. Go seek Him first. I know in moments of suffering, the first thing we ask is, what can I do to make it better? I want to challenge you. If you're hurting right now, don't do that. Don't react. Hit pause and go to the secret place. I've had moments in my life where I've experienced suffering and pain, and God has almost given me a bulleted list of things I need to do next. At other times, it hurts, but he's silent. And it's boring. And it's hard. And it's difficult. But sometimes, even though it doesn't feel like it in the moment, you exit those times of prayer, those times of intercession, and something shifted. Where there is insecurity, there starts to be birthed confidence. When there is pain, there starts to be birthed comfort. When there is struggle, there start to be birthed answers. Dig in. Don't react. Don't try to find your value in the circumstances. The second one is this, and it's actually a lot harder. It's from Revelation 4-9. It says, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created everything and they exist and were created by your will. Declare God's worthiness in everything. Instead of focusing on your questions, instead of focusing on how to fix your questions on your own, declare the answer. If Jesus really is true God from true God, like the Nicene Creed proclaims, like the scriptures proclaim. It means that if he's Lord of creation, he's Lord of your circumstances, he can help you. And I know it seems stupid when you're hurting and you're like, yeah, I know Jesus is Lord. Yeah, I know in my heart Jesus is Lord, but I want to submit something to you. If you're not willing to declare who God is in good times in your life, you won't have the fortitude or the strength to do it in the suffering. You have to invest. Pastor Greg says so often, he had a professor in Bible college who says, when you speak a statement, it inhabits a new part of who you are. It becomes a new and stronger truth. Our words have power. And in the early church, it was all about creeds, and that seems kind of strange and abstract. But when you were being hauled away by lions, When you were being burned at the stake, when your families were being persecuted, you needed to continuously declare who God was because in those moments of suffering, you needed it. You needed it not just to be an idea you thought, but a truth you held within you. And lastly is this, it's from the Psalms 89 verse one. Meditate on the Lord's faithfulness in your life. When you're suffering, when you're hurting, Think of all the times he stood beside you. The psalmist will say, I will sing of your steadfast love, O Lord, forever. With my mouth I will proclaim your faithfulness to every generation. Sometimes the best reset button, when life feels chaotic and the pressure of the trap is closing in around you, is to just hit the reset button. Remember God's faithfulness. And remember the truth that you've always had a friend who is walking beside you. As I was praying over this teaching, as I was kind of formulating this teaching earlier this week, all I could think about is the glorious truth of the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the God who literally means, I'm a friend who stands beside you when you're in pain. My friend Tyler said in teaching team this morning, Sometimes there isn't an answer to your question. With the exception of Jesus, because he's the Lord of your circumstances, you might not find that relief right now. You might not find that way out, but Jesus operates as hope because even in moments when you can't escape your circumstances, his promise is that he's sitting right next to you, that he's feeling every ounce of your pain, And sometimes, this picture is so much bigger than ourselves. One of the hardest journeys I ever walked through was when I was younger, I was married. I'm married now, too. Lovely. (laughs) When I was younger, I was married, and I had a spouse who walked out of the marriage and didn't want to be with me anymore and filed for divorce. And something I remember hearing from a friend of mine, Mike Napa, he's on our teaching team, When people would press him with this question, how can you not hate God? How can you not blame God for the fact he took your wife away with cancer? His response was always, I lost my best friend in this world. Why would I lose my eternal best friend, true? Why would I lose my eternal best friend, too? And I remember in my greatest moment of pain, that would cycle as a prayer within me because his suffering was really a lot bigger and a lot more important than just his pain because he needed to declare God's faithfulness to others. There's a world out there who needs us and they don't need us to be happy and fake and always smiling and always pretending like things are great. They need us to be real and they need us to remind them that we've been in pain too but God has stood with us through the healing. So what's the answer? The answer is turn your eyes towards the Lord. Stop seeking your answers within the questions. When you do, you're merely investing in a world, a cosmos, circumstances which are actively trying to destroy you. You're not going to find hope there. Does that mean that my life just doesn't matter and day-to-day living should just be set aside and only the spiritual things are important? No. God said he's going to redeem this cosmos. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. But first, he needs a people who bring his presence back into it, who demonstrate the authority that he won at the cross. The scriptures declare creation waits eagerly, waiting, waiting for the revealing of the children of God. So if we're going to live into our vocation as covenant people, his new creation people, as Jesus people, is on earth as it is in heaven people, we've got to set our circumstances aside. We've got to stop gripping onto them in times of need and instead set them on the only one who has all authority, the only one who can help, the only answer to every question. So tonight it might seem a little strange, but I want to ask you guys to do something with me. If you're comfortable, can you close your eyes? We're gonna do something together. As you breathe, I want you just to think about every place in your life where circumstances are pressing down upon you. Every moment where you feel the anxiety peak just a little bit. Every situation that feels like a trap, whether it be your work, whether it be a relationship, whether it be your finances or your family, I want you to think about those things right now. And with me, I just want you to breathe out and imagine yourself letting those things go. As we continue to breathe in, I just want you to imagine that you're taking the answer of Jesus into yourself. You're reminding yourself that the Spirit of God really is here that he's standing with you. He feels the fullness of your pain, past, present, and future. He knows the plans he's set forth for you. He's gonna bring you hope, but right now he's just sitting in it with you. Second, I want you to imagine that as you think of all these places of suffering, all these places of trial, that he's sitting next to you with an appropriate six-foot distance. And I want you just to imagine that you're taking your circumstances and you're pulling them out of your lap, out of your life, and you're placing them in his hands. Because he's already born those things. He already conquered those things in his death. It's time for your resurrection. It's time for you to find the answer. So as we open our eyes, I just want to declare to you one last time, if life hurts, if it's painful... If it's challenging, if it's confusing, stop looking outward towards your circumstances and start looking towards Jesus. Would you guys stand with me? I want to pray us out.